So the Zen uh, teacher, T.T. Suzuki, said that the heart is a void of inexhaustible contents. As we do the work of silence, we come into awareness of that full emptiness, that poverty of spirit. But it's a work to remember it and to become familiar with it again. It's, it's been a long time. Our ordinary minds have a limited capacity, like computers. We can only take so much information, so much activity, before we burn out, or we get tired, or we get bored, or we get depressed. Our continuous internal conversations and chatter, what Etty called yesterday the litter uh, in our mind, that takes up memory takes up space. And beyond that limit, we begin to feel we're, we're having to strain or to push to keep up. That's what we call stress. It's the inability to process and the panic of not being able to cope, not being able even to pause. And what has happened in that state is that we lose an essential rhythm of healthy experience. Human beings are rhythmical, they're not linear like machines. So we, we live and we move and we grow within certain rhythms of life which are non-negotiable. These are th th rhythms we have to be obedient to, to accept, like going to bed at night and waking up in the morning. These circadian rhythms and so on. So, rhythms of eating and sleeping. From childhood, we're forced to remember things, to pack our minds with information, with answers, in a competitive and increasingly competitive way, of course, in modern education, which often ex drains the joy out of learning. No wonder in so many developed countries, the more money that is spent on uh, compulsory education, the, the less the children seem to enjoy it and the less they seem to get out of it. So from childhood, we're forced more and more to remember ideas and facts and words. So much is stored, and more is added, of course, by a continuous influx of social media and non-stop entertainment. YouTube has 300 hours of video uploaded every minute. That means there are five billion, I counted them myself, f five, five billion videos 
watched every day. Five billion, that's, that's the same as the number of almost the population of the planet, isn't it? Six million, it's a billion. So eight, eight, eight out of ten people between the ages of 18 and 49 watch uh, every month. So if, if we, you know, as a way of relaxing, as a way of escaping, as a way of chilling out, uh, we tend to actually push more stimulus, more information, more uh, ideas or images anyway into our minds. If we continue to saturate ourselves in this endless consumption, um, we will fail to be able to filter and edit to understand the meaning of what we are absorbing of all the data. So we will just be awash with data and increasingly disconnected pieces of information. And this is the reason for asceticism in the monastic tradition and in all the great spiritual wisdoms. Asceticism is that exercise of self-control which, of course, in the letter to the Galatians, is actually one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the gifts that come with the life of the Holy Spirit within us, the ability to practice self-control. And we need this just to maintain physical health. And without this uh, capacity for editing, for filtering, for stepping back, for asceticism, for self-control, silence becomes something more and more that we see as negative. Silence is when something doesn't work, or silence is when something is not being communicated. And that's the silence that Father Rodriguez uh, experienced in Japan. He could only feel silence as an absence or as a negation. But it's more than a deprivation. Silence is a breakthrough. It's a breaking out of the prison of constant interior noise. We recover the capacity to listen, not just to hear, but actually to listen. Not just to watch, we watch YouTube videos, but we recover the capacity to see. There's a big difference between hearing, just uh, recording stuff in our unconscious or in our minds, uh, and, and listening, which is when we pay attention. We bring the quality, the spiritual quality of attention into the sensory activity. Otherwise, we're just hearing noise rather than listening to sounds. And in the same way, um, we watch, observe uh, in a increasingly passive way, of course, if it's on a screen, 
It's a very passive kind of sensory uh, activity. Um, but we don't see, we don't pay attention to what is before us. So the need for, these, for this work of silence built into our lives is even more urgent and desperate uh, today than it ever was in the past. But this is ancient wisdom. There's nothing new about this. We're not the first people in the world to realize the dangers of distraction. We may be the first generation in the world to be hardly aware that we are distracted. So we, we recover the capacity to see and to listen through the self-control, through the integration of times of silence, of times where we devote ourselves wholeheartedly to the work of silence. By becoming silent, we learn to listen again. And by learning to listen, we discover that silence is our natural and happiest state of being. And so to listen is to be obedient to God, the ground of being. I was uh, reading the other day uh, reports from the clinical trials we've been doing with the emergency department of a large hospital in Ireland introducing the uh, participants, the health, the, the uh, clinicians to meditation. What was interesting was that the results are, are very positive as one might imagine. What's curious is that they didn't do much meditation. So uh, we have yet to work out what this means, but they do. They complied about 30... These are extremely busy and stressful carers, people dealing with emergency medical you know, events continuously. So it's a very stressful, very high level of burnout. Um, and of course, they have their own lives as well. They have their families and busy like everybody else. But these are people who work inordinately long hours very often. So when I heard, actually, that they have about a 30% compliance with meditating twice a day, I, I didn't think that was too bad, although others felt that it wasn't so good. But it was a, actually within a quite a short uh, focus period of time. I think if it was longer, we would give them more of a, a learning curve. Because I don't think we learn to meditate without giving up. You have to give up and then start again. It's like discovering that meditation is not blanking out the mind. It's not achieving a completely thought-free, image-free state of mind. That's not meditating. Meditating is returning to your mantra. If you return to your mantra, you are meditating. Now, the purpose of meditation is, of course, we'll, we'll come to this after our walk, if we don't, it's going to rain at any moment. Um, the purpose of meditation is to allow us to receive the gift of contemplation. But we have to prepare ourselves, we have to go through stages, 
Holy Spirit can intervene and lift us and do what, it, do what she likes. But um, generally speaking, meditation takes time to prepare the mind and the heart to bring us into that natural rhythm of being within ourselves and to tension in which we can receive the gift of contemplation. But what's interesting, therefore, about these results in Ireland is that um, the, the results are very positive. And these are quite rigorously measured. I don't know how they do it, but it's on a very high level, high standard. And, um, for example, there's a 20% drop in burnout. And these are quite well-defined terms. Uh, great improvement in sleep patterns and in stress around the heart. There's a lot more. They haven't uh, done all the um, data yet. But the other thing is that it shows a very high increase in levels of mindfulness. That means awareness of what they're doing. They, they, they know what they're doing, they're conscious, they feel present to it. So, nothing shows more clearly than that, at least it seems to me, what, what we probably as meditators know anyway, which is that mindfulness, being in the present moment, being able to listen, not just hear noises, but not process it, but being able to listen with attention, or being able to see with attention, rather than just watching stuff passing across the screen of our lives, that nothing that, that meditation uh, makes us more present, more mindful. It's a natural result of the practice of meditation, even if we're not meditating perfectly even if we're not doing it twice a day. I don't know how, how all this data is going to be finally interpreted, but, I mean, it's almost as if the intention to do it, it's like the old idea that the person who complained that they don't love God, but who has finally put, it, put their, their fears at rest when they're told that the desire to love God is the love of God. Uh, so maybe we're going to come up with the discovery that you don't have to meditate. You, you just have to want to meditate. <laughs> well, that may work for a while, but I don't think... It may work for a sort of four-week trial, but whether it's sustainable uh, for life, I don't know. So... Uh, so all of this is, is, I hope, giving us a little bit more familiarity with, and insight into the meaning of silence. Silence, these times where we do the work of silence, dismantles the blur of images passing across the screen that we're just watching rather than seeing. It also helps to define the sounds that would otherwise just pass through our ears as noise. So it makes us more clear, more focused, more aware. And it dismantles the illusions which protect and falsely comfort us. 
all aspects of what we've been talking about as the inner noise, the interior noise. And it's this inner noise that is our real enemy, the enemy within. Because it disconnects us from actual relationship with reality. It sets up an increasingly extended delay in responding to reality. There are, I think we've all been there ourselves to some degree, where you're just not present to something that's being said to you uh, or to something that is happening and you, you, you suddenly, you've been reading and you realize you've read two pages and you didn't read it at all or you've been at a, at, at a play and somehow you seem to uh, miss a section of the dialogue so you, you, you don't know where, where you are in the story. So this, this happens um, when the inner noise drowns out our reality, the, our relationship to, to the real world. And, it's, and then this can become established as a habit of mind so that you can meet people who are, by this time they probably are approaching some level of mental illness, they are actually in a, in a, you know, a three or five second delay between reality as it is flowing through them. You remember what Etty Hillison says, the stream of life, this broad stream of life flowing through us. So they're about you know, five, ten or maybe seconds or maybe an indefinite amount of time separated from what is happening. And that robs us of the joy of spontaneity and it bogs us down in ever more narrow self-encapsulation, self-fixation. It robs life of its joy. Intimacy is a very major concern of people in modern culture. I think we probably write and think and analyze and about intimacy or complain that we don't have enough of it or are looking for it in all sorts of different ways. And more than any other culture, intimacy depends on being free from this inner noise that imprisons us in fantasy and in endless frustration. Intimacy is, the, is a contemplative uh, state of mind. Intimacy is when you are in the moment. Intimacy is when you are with the person you are with. There's no delay. There's no, I wonder what, I wonder what this means, or did I just miss something? So there's a, it's, it's about being present, being in God. So intimacy, which is so necessary for human health and the rhythms of life, intimacy depends upon being freed, being detached from this inner noise. Modern relationships increasingly seem to suffer 
from a, a loss or reduction of intimacy. Crisis of the institution of marriage is only one illustration of, of this. Uh, more and more psychologists speak about uh, people becoming disconnected. To be disconnected means that you've lost meaning. To, to, be, to have meaning in your life means that you feel connected, just connected to, to yourself, connected to others, connected to God, connected to the environment, connected to, your, to, to the place you're living or the people you're working with. Burnout is a uh, increasingly common, of course, not only in emergency departments of hospitals, but in places of work and in marriages. Burnout happens not necessarily by your collapsing on the ground and rolling around frothing at the mouth, but burnout happens by stages through an internal withdrawal from reality. You become more and more disconnected. You may go through the motions. You may be seen to be doing your job. You may be fulfilling your responsibilities within the marriage or the family. But interiorly, something is unpicking, unraveling, and becoming disconnected. And eventually, I suppose, it would lead to some kind of snap between you and reality, unless the symptoms of the burnout became so obvious and painful that you decided you had to do something about it. So this disconnecting from reality and being lost in our interior noise, that is a kind of atomization where we become no more than an atom, an individual atom, no longer a part, of a, part of the molecular structure of the universe, no longer part of the great web of being, the interdependency we were talking about yesterday. And the, the way we are culturally flirting with the idea of virtual reality, and we're more and more fascinated by technology that um, seems to present us with a reality that matches our disconnected state. It's a reality that doesn't demand anything from us. It's a reality that we're not in relationship to at all, really, because it's so totally encapsulated within our own in inner noise. We just play around with that inner noise with a technology that further isolates us and atomizes us. And this is everything, for example, that St. Benedict uh, rejects. St. Benedict says that you go into community in order to seek God, which is to find your place in the great web of reality. And this call, the beginning of this, of this journey for the monk, but it's reflected in the life of the meditator, is 
that you feel yourself called out of the crowd. And it's that the voice of the Lord comes to us, we're in the crowd, we're anonymous, we're disconnected. If you're in a, cloud, a crowd, you are just carried along by the crowd. The crowd is something we create in our own minds as well. But the voice of the Lord penetrates through this inner noise. It's the word of God. It's the sound of God. It's an intelligible sound rather than just another blurred noise. And when we encounter this call, it it doesn't come as a text message, it may come through a person we meet, it may come over a period of time, it may come through a process of uh, relationship or a process of therapy or a process of suffering, whatever. However, the call comes to us Uh, we recognize it because it is so intimate. Because it is addressing us particularly and personally in the crowd. And it changes our whole perception of ourselves and of reality. And so that may well be part of the process of beginning to meditate and learning to meditate and learning what meditation is. First of all, meditation is reconnecting, rediscovering intimacy with ourselves, with our true self, the true self that is lost or abandoned in the crowd. And depression, addiction, and physical illness result from the breakdown of intimacy. And there are no substitutes for this, just as there's no substitute for getting a good night's sleep or having the right kind of food or doing sufficient exercise. There are no substitutes for that. There's no virtual reality that will replace those things. The average Facebook user has 338 friends. And 15% of them, uh, of Facebook users, have more than 600 friends. It'd be great, wouldn't it, to have 600 friends? (laughs) You'd have to remember all their birthdays. (laughs) That's two a day. So, not surprisingly, that when, as we rediscover the meaning of intimacy, the need for connection, the need to quieten the noise of the mind, we also, at the same time, rediscover the importance of community. Community allows spheres of intimacy and belonging to develop. We're not equally intimate with everyone all the time. And a good community allows for spheres or, or what do you say, sort of waves of uh, intimacy 
and a sense of belonging. The opposite of community is where, the, it, where people make unreasonable demands for conformity and exclude those who are seeking. A good community, like the church, has to recognize that it is, a, it, that it, it is inclusive, in other words, it can turn no one away, and it recognizes that everyone who is within it, within that community, is on a journey. Nobody has achieved perfection yet. And this small little microcosm of that is the meditation group. No meditation group should turn anyone away. And no meditation group uh, would, would sell itself as, you know, for experts only. I mean, we all laugh at that, but there are, there are some. In fact, we got a phone call once uh, some years ago asking about the meditation groups at the, at the community and he said um, so I said we, we recommend people to come to this introductory group for a number of weeks and he said oh I don't need that so I said well you know I, we, we, if, if you want to know what we're teaching and how we're doing it I, I advise you to come to that no, no, I, he said, I've been meditating for many, many years and I don't need any more introductions. So, you know, that's a certain <laughs> mentality uh, which I think we would be a little reserved about. It's not exactly simplicity, is it? It's not exactly childlikeness. So, a community is intimately connected to our need for intimacy with ourselves and with others. But in that community, we find ourselves in relationship not only with those who have been there for many years, but with those who are just arriving. There is that, that's, uh, that, that spontaneity of belonging as people who are on the way rather than people who think that they have arrived or achieved some high level of expertise. <laughs>